Hello and welcome to the Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Rhodes. And on today's episode, helping to define what it means to be human in the digital age, seeing God move in higher education, and is there opportunity for the church in the metaverse? Kenneth David Wade is a writer from Washington, Pennsylvania, interested in Rust Belt literature, hip-hop, and speculative fiction. He earned his MFA from the Helen Zell Writers Program at the University of Michigan, where he won a Hopwood Award for Best Novel. His fiction has appeared in Electric Literature, Kenyon Review Online, and Quelly Journal. His nonfiction has been published in Brevity. He lives in San Diego, California, where he is the program director for Hope Leadership Academy, a Christian nonprofit ser- serving San Diego's fatherless youth through after school programming, mentoring, and outreach. He is currently working on his Master of Arts in Theology at Fuller Theological Seminary. You can find him online. His ha- uh, Instagram handle is at K David Wade. Once again, that's at K David Wade. This is part two of my conversation with David. You'll want to check out part one, of course. Uh, that is episode 41. And uh, we had a great conversation. Definitely went a different direction than what I expected. Um, was very pleasantly surprised by the direction it took. We ended up talking a lot about the metaverse and some of the future for the church as far as the metaverse and what that can look like and what it means to be human. And it was just an overall a, a great conversation. So you won't want to miss that. That'll give a little bit more context to where we're at right now uh, in this conversation. Um, but David has been an incredible friend of mine and uh, I'm so thankful to have him on on the podcast, and uh, I feel like you guys get to see a little bit into one of the relationships that's been uh, uh, one of my strongest relationships throughout the last decade. Um, he's just been there in some really key moments of my life, and uh, I think you can hear that in our conversation and and in just how we how we converse. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. Uh, also, if this podcast has impacted you in any way, would you please consider giving a one-time or monthly gift of support? Uh, you can do that by going to firemovement.com slash support. Once again, that's firemovement.com slash support. And uh, there you can choose a one-time or monthly gift. Uh, thank you so much for all those who have been giving consistently or even one time. Uh, it, it goes so far and helps us expand. There's some amazing things uh, that are on the horizon for fire movement for our ministry. And some things God's spoken to me. Uh, one of which I want to invite you into. I am now on TikTok. I never thought I would be. Uh, I fought it. But uh, through many prophetic words and God speaking to me directly, I am on TikTok. <laughs> and so if you want to support what I'm doing on there, uh, you can go to at uh, Ryan M. Rhodes. Once again, that's at Ryan M. Rhodes is my TikTok handle. Uh, and please you know, follow and like my, my uh, posts as I post them and uh, share them with people that you know that need them. TikTok is a very different format, but I, I strongly believe that Gen Z is is longing for truth, and they are longing for experience. And uh, I'm aiming to find ways to bring in personal testimony uh, to reach them and lead them to biblical truth. So 
uh, please support that and be praying for that. If you're not on TikTok, just be praying for it and, and just praying that it really has an impact on a lot of people because I'm addressing things like suicide and uh, and and some harder things, harder issues. Um, but I think God's going to do some amazing things in it, and I'm trying to be obedient. So um, appreciate your support in that. And uh, we're going to jump into the part two of this conversation after a quick sponsor segment. Religion loves Jesus the teacher, is even okay with Jesus the prophet. Religion is not okay with Jesus the breaker of bondage, the transformer of hearts, the savior of nations. Because the real Jesus is the anointed one. He doesn't just have good teachings. He is the, the breaker of bondage. He will transform you. But you got to go after knowing him more. He's worth it. He's worth, he's worth your time. He's worth your life. And there's, there's nothing, this, this city, this nation, the nations of the world are not going to be transformed by a satisfied people. They're going to be transformed by lovesick warriors. Because if he's for us, who can be against us? If the king of the universe and all of his goodness, all of his backing, if all of heaven is for you, is standing behind you, supporting you, how, how could anything succeed against you? How could you fail? We could, we could change the world. That's not just a fun phrase. If you'll give your life to this thing, to the real thing, if you'll find the real Jesus, the one who burns with eyes of fire, if you'll get a real hunger in your belly and you don't let anything else stop you, and if you'll, if you'll align yourself with who you are as a son or daughter of God, there is nothing that can stop you. This is The Fire Podcast. Okay, well, I'm back with David Wade, and uh, I think where we left off, I had asked you the, the question, um, it's kind of twofold. I want to hear with some of the creative stuff that you did in New York, that was that was a, uh, almost like a, a starting point of, of what it looked like for you as a believer, because you, you got saved while in New York, I believe, right? Yeah. And you yeah. were at NYU, and then this was like kind of your first... Uh, real thing reaching out to artists and like bringing your faith and art together was was that and so how did that get started and then can you share some of the testimonies of how how you having uh, light next to dark and, and doing these open mics and things like uh, how did that impact people and and what was some of the what happened with that what'd you learn those sorts of things so how did it start yeah man um, well I actually went to New York I went to NYU on a, an art scholarship, right? On a writing, screenwriting scholarship. Um, and that was kind of just like, like writing was just like my ticket out of the hood and into education, first generation college student, all that good stuff. And uh, it's just crazy to like think about this stuff now that I'm a little bit farther out, like as a man and not just like a 20 year old. Cause there was a time where even like five years ago, I felt like this part of my life was still like the biggest thing inside of me. And now I feel like I'm looking back on like a younger version of myself, if that makes sense. But yeah, um, but yeah. So I went to NYU for like a screenwriting scholarship and uh, an undergrad, and actually got saved in between my freshman and sophomore year, where everybody else that I knew was losing their faith if they came from like a Christian background at all. And I actually like had a radical encounter with God, which I can share about if you want. And um, sure. 
yeah, just a side note. It's like a whole episode in and of itself. It's an odyssey. But basically, I was tripping acid one. No, tripping shrooms. Yeah, acid was fine. I was tripping shrooms one night, and uh, and I felt like I had this whole crazy, crazy odyssey. Where at the during it, like I mean, I literally ended up in this field by myself, uh, hearing the devil tell me to drown myself in the Hudson River, and the whole thing that happened that night. Every time I would hear like the devil trying to get me to kill myself, I would hear either the name, I would either say the name of Jesus and the voices would stop or, or any Bible verse that I um, like had heard as a kid uh, growing up would just come to my mind and be the big in my spirit. And I would say that Bible verse. So um, and then the voices would stop. And so this was like in the spring of like 2010. And at the end of that night, when I came down from the trip, I knew that one, I'd been hallucinating and like I'd been on, you know, a biochemical reaction that happened in my body. And two, that Jesus Christ saved my life, that like God saved me. Like that night felt like the war for my soul and that, that the Lord literally saved me from death. And, um, and that started like a three or four month journey in which I uh, really started reading the Bible and like started just trying to live my life according to the Bible um, and realizing like, okay, I'll stop having sex or I'll stop drinking, but the Bible doesn't say anything about weed. So I'm just keep smoking. And, you know, like this, that, this journey, that's actually, it actually led to how you and me reconnected. Um, like, not that we were estranged, but like you had got saved already. And then at the end of that summer, I knew I had a choice to make and I wanted to follow Jesus, but like, I, I just became convinced that Jesus was what I needed, what the world needed. It wasn't an education, it wasn't more money, it wasn't all this other stuff. It was literally like a relationship with God. Hmm. And yet my whole identity had been built around being this rapper and being this artist and trying to like make it for my family and all this stuff. And so I had this tough decision to make. And in the midst of that, I got an opportunity to record my first studio album in a multi-million dollar recording studio with my like producer partner at the time. And so I just said, forget this Jesus stuff and I'm going to do this. And I, I'm recording this album. And it was one of the most, it was like the dopest album I made to that point, but it was also the darkest album I'd ever made. Like at that, it was really crazy how spiritual it was. And we're about two thirds of the way recording this album. And we have like some big rappers, like up bigger rappers than me anyway, it's supposed to get on it. And uh, like people who are already famous. And about two thirds of the way through, um, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and he just like said, David, you know, what are you doing? And he's like, you know, he made it very clear that there's black and white. And my whole life up to that point, I felt like I've been following God. I felt like I've been doing what I could, but now I'd actually read the Bible for myself. And the Lord spoke to me, he was like, you know, before you acted in ignorance and I gave you grace, and now you know the truth. And if you continue down this path, you're actively gonna turn your back on me. And like, that's gonna be it. And I basically ran out of the booth and I knew like one Christian at the time and it was, it was Ryan Rhodes and <laughs> I called you and I don't know if you remember, I tell this story all the time. I actually don't tell my testimony that much anymore. Uh, but I tell the story all the time. I called you and like, Hey, I, you know, the Bible says I need to confess to witnesses. I'm a big word guy. You guys know this. And, uh, like the Bible <laughs> says I need to confess the witnesses and this, and, uh, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong, but you actually looked up the sinner's prayer on Google. You were like stalling. <laughs> so you could, we didn't know yeah. we were new to this, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I'd been saved six months, something like that. Yeah. So, something yeah. like that. It was, yeah. And then uh, I, I think I, there was one other person I had led to the Lord, but I like stumbled through it, didn't really know what I was doing. And now you're calling me and I was like, 
Yeah, so I was like, I was looking it up on the internet, stalling. Like, well, I don't even know what to have you pray. Right. <laughs> That's so funny. It's just so funny. I think about that all the time. Uh, yeah, man. And so I gave my life to the Lord that day, and um, and then I literally lost everything. Like to my my like all my friends thought I was crazy. I had just started this like music label, and we were planning this summer tour, and like we were gonna do all this stuff, and it was just gone, right? Like out the window. Mm-hmm. And obviously I there's like, I knew that I knew that I knew that God saved my life and this was real, I need to follow him no matter what. But I also felt really lonely and really like alone because my whole community were these artists and my whole identity was as an artist, just as a rapper, but then as an artist broadly, like uh, NYU is like a famous art school. And so it just like opened me to all these new relationships and experiences and and nobody was, people just thought I was weird. and. Um, and that I kind of had lost it. And then I got plugged into a community uh, through university there through some, a really good friend of ours, Sergio. And all this to say, like, I ended up getting plugged into a church in New York, uh, in Greenwich Village, this little tiny, super reformed church that had this, like, I mean, literally, like, it was like 25 people there. I remember, and I was like one of like four young adults, like because the they had just hired a college pastor, and he's like one of the guy, the first guy who discipled me, and he's the man, and uh, and but like it was just like me and like four other people from the young adults group that would meet there that would actually come to church on Sunday, and uh, this like kind of grandma gave me like a Westminster Catechism, like she was just like like that was like a gift that she gave me. It was like this will help you so much. It was like thank you so much. But anyways, they had this long-standing um, project called the All Things Project, where they would host local artists in New York, Christian or non-Christian, just to have theological conversations about the arts, or to you know put their art in the gallery or whatever, like through these different mediums of artistic expression. And I became friends with the guy who ran that, and that's kind of like began this really this fusion process of who I was as an artist and who I was as a Christian. Um, and I was like, asked them if I could use the space to do this event. I think I was calling it the outcry. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure that's what I called it, the outcry. And we would have these events where they'd be these open mics and people could come. I actually started a Bible study in Tisch School of the Arts for just like artists. And like, I had like 12, 15 people, which was crazy. And we would just do like, I mean, it was just so fun to just like talk about God and how you can encounter God through your specific craft and medium. But anyway, so they would tell their friends who were non-Christian and stuff, and then we would just have these events. And um, and yeah, so that's kind of how I really got started. And then I, I had many iterations of that in New York and Columbus and different places. Uh, I think like a really, one of my favorite testimonies actually, I was trying to think of one from New York. I guess that Bible study was huge because I'm still friends with people from that. And I actually hosted a... Um, a like a sort of roundtable theological discussion about a movie the other day uh, for one of my seminary classes and invited people from that into it like Hmm. friends from 10 years ago and it was one of the most like spiritual like god was there it was so cool man it was like film students (laughs) that i graduated with with like my worship pastor at my old church and this like random friend and we were just like talking about um what's that movie uh with Kevin Spacey, uh, and he like like dates the young girl, or he likes the young girl. American, Came out like two thousand. American yeah, Beauty. Yeah, Amer- American Beauty. We watched American Beauty and talked about that in conversation with the Book of Ecclesiastes, and like, it was just crazy. So that was really really cool. But um, in Columbus, when I did the, I used to do the writers block uh, 
which you will remember. I had a friend who's agnostic, not really, not a Christian, just like loved to organize events, love hip hop. And me and him used to throw these monthly hip hop events for local artists in Ohio. And I would co-host it. And like, it was a safe space. Like we didn't want to have like, you know, all the crazy violence and stuff. And so dope underground rappers would come. We freestyle, people would play beats and they'd get to like, you know, do their thing, sell their merch. And we'd have 100, 200 people sometimes. But before that, we would get uh, people from FIRE, which was the young adults group at our church that Ryan pastored, to like pray together and worship together and pray for the event. And then I'd come to the event, which was in this like grimy bar, like near OSU's <laughs> campus. It was like a punk rock bar with like stickers everywhere, like markers and urine. And uh, <laughs> it was just a great time. And uh, people would like come and like get prayed, like the people from Fire would just be there for the hip hop concert. A lot of them little blonde white girls who might not necessarily listen to hip hop if they didn't know me. But they'd be praying for people and casting out demons in the, do you like, I mean, there's just crazy stuff that would happen there. Uh, I remember one time, like a girl shrieked because of a demon came out of her. Um, I remember a friend of mine who I met through that ended up coming to our, our furnace, our small group, and we were worshiping and he actually left because he, the presence of God was so thick and he's one of the best rappers. He's blowing up right now, actually, if you like follow him and, um, he left and came, uh, I chased him outside and was like, bro, like what's going on? He's like, I'm just not ready. I'm not ready. But like, I just felt like God told me to go follow him. We talked a few days later, us and another friend, Andrew Clark actually led him to Jesus at a Buffalo Wild Wings. That was a huge one for me. Um, because like, I don't know, just like the lost sheep coming home, Jesus leaving the 99. And also like, you know, you talked about light and dark spaces. It all flows out of this conviction that A, light always overcomes darkness. B, light overcomes darkness through love. Um, like mm -hmm. light has nothing to fear from the darkness. Uh, I would never advise doing stuff like these events by yourself. I always did it with a team and do it like with multiple people who are mature. And you shouldn't do this if you're not mature and if you're still experiencing the temptations that these environments can create. But you're basically just bringing the church to where the people are, right? You're bringing Jesus to where people are in a way that they actually want to engage with. Because like a good father who engages with his kids' interest, if they're interested in painting or skiing or soccer, even if you don't like soccer, you're going to get to like soccer because you want to connect with your kid. Like, I feel like that's what God does. And so we just were coming to these spaces where people were and seeing some really beautiful stuff happen there man um and it wasn't always like just flashy either like that one of my favorite testimonies is the bartender from that place in columbus um he i'm pretty sure he had some sort of addiction stuff maybe i don't want to speak ill of him but basically one night we were there setting up and, and i was just the first one there and he looked really off and i was like what's going on man and he said his girl had just left him or something and like or over something crazy had just happened in his life. I can't fully remember, but he was like broken. And I was like, hey, can I give you a hug? And I just like hugged him and he just like wept in my arms. I got to pray for him and just like tell him mm -hmm. that God loves him. And then like, he told me that it changed his life. And so it's just like being in that space consistently and being friends with people who would never walk into a church. You know what I mean? Like, like you said earlier, it's not the old generations where somebody's just gonna come into church when they feel broken. And so, but me being love in the space that he inhabits, it changes life. And so um, those are some beautiful memories for me, man. Uh, and then just convicted by the fact that God is an artist. And like, I've had, I had really good mentors that spoke into my life. I was thinking about this 
actually after you ask the question, like, I've been a part of so many different churches from super reformed to super Pentecostal charismatic to black Baptist to more traditional evangelical to like a mix of all of the things. And I've always actually been plugged into churches where somebody in the pastor or elder team like was an artist or like had a vision mm -hmm. for what this could look like and was able to like encourage me in it and give me freedom and like trust me. Hmm. And I really think that's a, this like the kindness of God, you know what I mean? Because yeah. there's people who don't have that experience for sure. But there's been people who have just like helped walk me through this, which is really powerful and beautiful. Hmm. So good. Yeah. And I remember um, one of those, cause I, I, I went to a, a couple of them um, of the writer's blocks. And I remember the one that Jasmine was at yeah. was, and and she's been on the podcast and maybe we even talked about this when she was on but that was like that was a powerful night <laughs> like yeah. i remember her playing she did her jake her, hamilton uh, or something didn't she <laughs> yeah she did her like little uh mashup of eminem yeah. Nas, and jake hamilton and so she like <laughs> yeah. she had the whole crowd singing i am royalty i have destiny i'm gonna change history yeah. and uh and the presence of God was in the room. Yeah. And I remember seeing people start to cry. I remember afterwards mm -hmm. people manifesting demons and like coming up to her and we're like praying. I was praying for people with her and mm -hmm. it was just like a whole, whole different thing. Um, yeah. And it was just ministry in a way. It, it was so beautiful because it was like, it really was meeting people where they are. You think about Jesus hanging out with the, the, the lowest of society and the people that were not going to be seen at the temple. Um, right. But he was willing to go to them, you know, sit with yeah. tax collectors, sit with prostitutes um, and all the undesirables. And yeah. uh, in many ways, not that they're not that rappers are the lowest of our society, but in the church's eyes, like that's one of the, especially the church you were in was a primarily white out in the suburbs, yeah, for sure. you know, kind of church. So like to be a part of that, but to be willing to go and meet people where they're at, um, you know, it was, it was just really beautiful. No, um, dude, that's, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go on. I was going no, to like different direction. Well, yeah. Just to kind of wrap this thread up. It's crazy because that, like, I had no fear going into those circumstances and environments, right? Like, that's just like, like, this is what God called me to do. Like, this is what I know. And yeah, when I got the MFA, I like, I had never experienced fear, like spiritual fear like that in my entire life. Like there was this moment going, so I got at my MFA from an elite institution for creative writing and fiction. And there was a moment where I was like, what am I doing? Like part imposter syndrome, but part like, I'm gonna get like canceled. Like I'm gonna be the only Christian at this entire university. And like, people are gonna think I'm weird. Nobody's gonna be my, you know what I mean? Like it's not gonna be like the old days, like God's not gonna meet me here. And I just want to say this for people who feel called to this kind of stuff. I mean, I literally felt, I mean, I've literally walked towards like people shooting guns, like waving a flag and speaking in tongues, like just like, you know, another day <laughs> in the park. I mean, I'm not trying to sound cool, but like I did that before once. And yet I didn't feel fear then, but going to this higher education institute, I felt fear. And I remember being with two friends of mine from NYU who saw my kind of whole journey, uh, one of my friends is super prophetic and uh, actually like works in the comic book world and like is just, like the crazy gets to do the most she has the best jobs ever um and she's really prophetic and i had her and this other girl pray for me 
And she, I said, you know, I just, I fear that I'm going to go there and I'm going to be isolated and I'm going to be misunderstood and like people aren't going to accept me. Um, and they're just going to kick me out because I'm a Christian, basically. Because it was like, you know, the climate had changed. It was like deep into identity politics already. Like it's like, you know, a different mm-hmm. season. And she saw this vision of a chessboard. And me and my wife, Candace, were like the white pieces on the board. And every time we came into conflict with one of the black pieces, uh, instead of it taking the piece off the board uh, and like, like, you know, like we took that piece off and it was dead, it actually transformed like this white liquid came over and it joined our side. And like, that's how we were taking the pieces on the board. And that's A, just the image of light and darkness, right? Like that's the transformative power of the gospel. But it really like happened when I got there. Like not only did it give me confidence, but I was in this hyper elite, hyper small program. And I saw out of like 36 people in the program at any given time, close to 20, like come to church, like who just, or come to like my Bible study or something like that, who would have never done it. People rededicated their life to the Lord. Like people got saved, like people who used to never even talk to God like, or didn't know how to talk about we're on our floor, like praying and, you know what I mean? Like on their knees, like in our living room, not only from this word, which I think gave the confidence, like, and just like assured me that God was with us, but just from us being in that space, loving Jesus and opening our home and opening our lives to people. Again, another dark situation where there was some heavy stuff and it's not all roses, but like, there's relationships built there and people who literally gave their life to Jesus and are married now or walking a different path just over the last few years. And these are people with like, you know, on the high, the the PhD track at very well known places, you know, Uh, really, really smart folks who are just like had an encounter with God through relationship and through somebody who was in their art world, like loving them, loving art, but also being like a real Christian. And so I don't know, man, if that's you or if that's, if you've ever felt fear, A, take that prophetic word for yourself and just allow like the, you know, the the pieces to transform and join your side. God has put you in that place, in that position, wherever you are, so that uh, other people can be walked into the kingdom of light through their interaction with you personally. Now, that might be your art. That might be you being able to speak their language and be dope like they're dope. You have to be excellent, you know, but um but just from you being who you are and loving God in that space, it's going to transform people's lives. And so I think that scales across any realm. I just think for me, it's like I've seen it happen in this artistic space, you know? Hmm. Yeah, that's so good. The imposter syndrome thing is is real. I like it's funny because as we were talking, I was thinking about some of our early days, like following Jesus really? and just some of the stuff we did. I, I remember one of one of the guys um in in washington we uh that mm-hmm. we sat and shared the gospel with him and i remember there was like weed on the table and a lot oh, of money yeah. and yeah. there's a glock like sitting there and this guy's a drug dealer and stuff and we're just like sharing the gospel and i felt so comfortable in those environments and and always have and like that doesn't mm-hmm. you know be in other countries and all that kind of stuff the stuff you run into there and yeah. doesn't scare me a bit but then the stuff that god's actually called me to here that i've been walking mm-hmm. into i've started to feel that like what am i doing here you know it's like god's open doors and I, I think i think it's because the uh i don't i don't know why i'm comfortable in other environments but i think for these environments like what you're talking about there's those like places that 
we're called to like very specifically. Mm. And I don't think it's just fear on our end of like, oh, I'm not enough. I think it's easy to think it's that. But I actually think it's like on the other side, it's a demonic force trying to mm-hmm. convince us that the, we don't belong. And that's actually kind of like a reverse confirmation of I'm in the right place because mm-hmm. this is coming against me because now that I'm doing this something is working yeah. really hard to convince me I don't belong. Right. Right. No, absolutely you're absolutely right and it's like you know, I don't know if that's like a one-to-one rule if it's always like that or something, but it's for sure that like it's just like it's just like a, a recognizable tactic of the enemy. You know what I mean? Where it's like, "Oh, hell is scared of you here. Why?" Because you're anointed to break chains and we're all anointed to break chains and to heal the sick and, you know, bring good news to the poor and all that stuff. But there's a specific area, whether that's just like a place or a city or a calling or a job or whatever. And you're going to come here and it's going to get some people saved. You know, it's going to change things. And we don't, the, the devil doesn't want that to change. He doesn't want people free. And so they try to trick you out of it or, you know, make you question yourself or what you heard from God or whatever but again for me it's always at least i don't know i would love to hear your thoughts on this i've always had community that has like helped me in the midst of that right like Mm -hmm. whether it's a prophetic word from a friend or just like encouragement from an elder and a mentor you know like in my life who's just like hey just calling it what it is you know what i mean like you're you're scared right now because of x y and z but you don't have to be you know Mm -hmm. god is with you and so um having people who know you enough to be able to recognize that I think is also super important. Yeah. And I think for, for me, I've speaking to the community piece, I've always had in those seasons, God will bring along new people that I didn't have before or don't Mm. know me before that, that Mm -hmm. see me in a way like they can see almost more purely who I am Mm. than somebody who's been with me a long time. You know, because they, they've got the history, you know, and it's mm, like it's sometimes mm-hmm. familiarity makes it hard to actually see how the greatness on somebody because you just mm. know how they are. And mm-hmm. like, I feel like almost every single time God's taken me in a new environment like that, he's also brought somebody else new alongside me as an encourager, like a, a Barnabas cool. kind of person that can that believes in me more than I believe in me, whether that is like a, somebody who's older than me or an elder or, you know, something or a peer level but they believe mm-hmm. in me in such a way that it like stirs me to actually believe more deeply yeah. than I, I ever did. So, yeah. He's really good like that. Um, I do want to get into like, um, so are you making a sequel? Are you going to write a sequel to left behind? <laughs> <laughs> since we all, uh, you know, since we're all, we're all still here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so what is uh you know what's the the you ending up in screenwriting and stuff like you're writing books and and all of that as well but like you have you've this this heart for writing in in yeah. fiction um you know not not just um just writing true stories or you know nonfiction work mm-hmm. it's you want to write fictional stories um that are carry like deep truths and things like that, but like also are very um, accessible and human mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and raw. Um, mm-hmm. So can you just speak to like what your philosophy on art looks like? Yeah, that's a good question, man. Um, and I appreciate that. Like, yeah, this goes kind of words, but 
I, I get a lot of my stuff from Flannery O'Connor, honestly. She's like, for those who don't know, famous 20th century writer, famously Christian, one of the greatest American writers of all time. Um, and like everybody just like is a horrible person in her work or like dies or just like, I'm not everybody, but a lot of people are, it's like Southern Gothic. And so like people got, you know, cock eyes and all kinds of weird stuff. But, um, but one of the main things that she talks about is just like, just writing about the human condition well, you know? And just like, that's what we just need to the, like, write the truest truth basically. And so that's just what I try to do. I just try to write about people as they are, um, or as I see them and I try to write from a beautiful place. I don't like, you know, even if, but, but you want things to be real. And I think it took me a long time to figure out how to write or even just how to create art that felt true to like the art form while also I felt confident that like, I don't care what somebody says about this. Like, I know I'm still a Christian. I'm not, you know, like leading somebody astray or something like that. Came through community and all that kind of stuff through maturity and wisdom. Um, yeah, I just, I feel like I see art as an interface. It's like this, uh, almost like the word is like interpen interpenetration. And so it's like an object or a site of interpenetration, which I'm not trying to be like overly academic. That's like the only word that I know for it, where it penetrates us and we penetrate it at the same time. Like it like cuts into our heart and tells us things about ourselves, but we're also like putting our like desires and our interpretations and stuff like that on the object or on the art. Um, and I think Theologically, that's what art, just in general, that's what art does. Theologically, when you're writing from a, as a Christian, you're aware of that in a sense that like, okay, then what does it look like for heaven to be in the DNA of the thing that's going to cut somebody's heart or that they're going to read off of this thing? Um, and that looks different, you know, because not every story has a happy ending, though the ultimate story has a happy ending. But sometimes the brokenness of a story can point to the fact that this isn't the way things should be. And so at least from fiction and stuff, that's where I go. But also like my fiction is transforming. Like, you know, my MFA thesis was a lot about the way that I grew up. Um, and so there's things in there that are a little bit heavier, even though there's moments of like joy and beauty and hope and delight and all these things. And yet the novel that I'm working on now is like a no it's like a comedy. It's, it's like about a, uh, this black pastor who gets hired uh, by this uh, mostly white kind of suburban rich church, well, uh, affluent church uh, in the wake of like a um, uh, unarmed killing of a of, or police killing of an unarmed black boy in their city and the city's kind of reeling. Um, and so he's their first black pastor. They hire him as like the pastor of justice to try to like, you know, figure stuff out. And it's like, uh, and he is this character who thinks that he has the, the, the cure to America's race problem. Like he thinks mm -hmm. that he can solve like the race problem. And um, the whole thing unfolds from there. And all that to say that like, this is the first time that I feel like I can write about my faith and just like the church and like Christianity in a way that feels real and accessible and funny and human, but also like respectful and you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. beautiful and um, where you take down sacred cows, but you subvert other tropes, you know what I mean? Because I actually love the church. Like I love, I love the church so much, even though there's things that can always be better. And so, um, so I think that's like for fiction, that's where I'm at. I think different art forms, it's, 
easier and harder. I think rap, one of the reasons why I've backed away a little bit is because I think there's less separation between the artist and the art with rap or music in general. Um, especially rap, like you just say so many words in rap. So it's just like you're preaching, you're teaching, you're worshiping, like you're doing all those things at once, right? Um, and I have, I mean, I have secret albums that I haven't put out. I'll send it to you after the podcast. But like, I think it's really good. But it's like, I feel an extra burden. Like if a 14 year old boy hears this, you know what I mean? Like, how is he going to take it? Versus like my literary fiction it's a it's an actual story you know what i mean and so i i feel like less so that's kind of one thing that i'm just trying to work out personally um but i do wish that i had somebody who is where i am now to mentor me and disciple me when i first got saved because i just quit everything i stopped rapping for like two years i just didn't know who i was you know what i mean i didn't know how to do it well and now i feel like honored that I've been able to bless a lot of younger artists and um, help them cultivate their voice while they're navigating like how to be a, a faithful artist you know what I mean and like that's what I study in seminary I study theology and the arts and so like Fuller has like the dopest like program on this one of the dopest programs and I've just got to work with really good people and like read a lot like our kind of American evangelical world it's so different than even like the European, like the British churches, like there's a ton of people who are Christian and are just like winning national book awards and writing about whatever they want because that distinction is already there. Like it's not as intertwined as maybe our American culture where you're like, you can't be a pastor and do X, you know what I mean? Um, like people are gonna judge your character because of it. And so um, now there's things that maybe, you know, you need to be wise again, but like, so just being open to different cultures and how they, different church cultures, different national cultures, how they deal with some of this stuff has also helped me out um, as well. But like, even in that novel that I'm working on, this idea of interpenetration, like one of the characters in there is like this kind of street preacher dude who's kind of like a T.D. Jakes if he like like lived on the streets, you know? He's just like, <laughs> he's like, where, like he like is this crazy kind of street preacher dude who smokes cigarettes, amazing booming voice. But like the city loves him because he's always like with the people. And his whole thing is the Beautify project. And so what he does, a big part of the novel, is like he creates these sites in the city that are just only for beauty. So there's like a piano under a bridge or like, uh, you know, a skate park, but like the whole thing is like decked out in like this like crazy mosaic or whatever. Um, and people keep getting like healed just by being in those spaces. There's There's these rumors going around that like, you know, my lottery ticket hit the other day or my back, I sat down to play the piano, my back was bad for five years and I could walk. And so like, it's just engaging with some of these questions of like, what are the, and we've talked about this before for sure, mm -hmm. but just like, what could art do? And so it's fun to be able to explore that stuff um, in my work as well. Yet I will say that I still am, now that I'm having more opportunities, like, you know, I may be stepping into some, like I've been a pastor, I may be stepping into a pastoral role again, trying to figure out the balance between your artistic life and like a ministry life. That's something I'm just trying to figure out as like time management wise, you know? That's like a, that, that's the thing that makes me feel sad sometimes. <laughs> it's like, how can I do it all, you know? But yeah. Yeah. Are there, other than your work, are there any, Christian artists like as far as writing or screenwriting that you feel like are doing it well yeah so I mean screenwriting 
I'd have to think about that. Um, or even movies in general. Yeah. So, I mean, Terrence Malick, I don't know if you know Terrence, you know who Terrence Malick is? Mm-mm. Uh, he made that movie about like the the Nazis. Uh, I don't want to type and get the clicks on here, but like uh, he made a movie about like a Nazi resistor who's like a Christian who like uh, you know basically has to get tortured and beat and stuff like that. So Terrence Malick is a great, he's a very private individual, but he deals with uh, Christian themes very powerfully and beautifully. And I'm pretty sure he's a Christian. Um, there's a ton of different books and stuff like that, novels that engage with these themes uh flannery o'connor percy walker uh actually kazuo ishiguro who is not i don't know if he's a believer or not but his novel he's a he's a nobel prize winner for fiction and he has this novel called clara and the sun just came out in 2020 i believe or the beginning of this year i mean one of the most beautiful novels i've ever read in my life and it's essentially about without giving things away but like a big part of it's like can an AI believe in God essentially is like a part of it. And so like, it's just like really fascinating stuff. Um, yeah. And then like poets, Christian Wyman, uh, Shane McRae, but yeah, I'm not too sure screenwriting, but the thing is though with movies and, you know, like mo- our culture, and this is the, this is like, now I'm really going to sound like a Joe Rogan guy or like a Jordan Peterson person or something, but like, our culture is inundated with the Christian story, right? So like basically what it is to tell a story in the West or in America for 80% of stories is like the Christian arc of like redemption, like fallen redemption or something, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or like the father or the parent like lo- likes love, you know, or, or self-sacrifice, laying your life down for somebody else, like agape, so that someone else might live. And then that character now, living in light of what that other person sacrificed for them and trying to honor their legacy and memory and the lessons that they taught them. I mean, that's like, obviously Christianity, those themes, all of those themes aren't unique only to Christianity, but they are basic to Christianity. And the stories that are produced out of our culture are 100% from like just biblical narrative. And so like if you watch any Spider-Man or Marvel movie, it's just that's the story. You know what I mean? <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's the arc. That's not a bad thing at all. I think that's just like that's just what it is. And so, um, and this is actually what I'm really interested in is like what is story? And this is some of my more like if I ever got a PhD, it'd be in this stuff. But um, but yeah. So all that to say, so many of our stories are Christian stories in some way, or because they're shaped by the Christian narrative they might be more or less faithful to that. They might resist it or try to subvert it. But so many of our prized stories are shaped and influenced by that overarching mm. meta story, meta narrative. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. It's really cool. What do you think about, yeah. cause I know we've, we've talked about um, a lot about what it would look like to make uh, even, even the more blatant stuff like the biblical stories and do them really well. Yeah. Um, which, little little rabbit trail when you're talking about writing things and like just the the raw the the humanity the yeah uh, all all of that i'm just thinking like man if if a believer today wrote stories like out of the bible Mm -hmm. (laughs) um most of them would be rejected you've got rape incest oh for sure crazy violence all this stuff we'd be like no, that's wrong. You know, like a Christian can't write that. And it's like mm-hmm. literally the book we read to our kids. Yeah. <laughs> like man. our teaching our kids. So yeah. um 
Anyways. No, and that's but, what uh, I mean by some of that tension with the evangelical versus like some of the more like Anglican or Orthodox or Catholic. Like, yeah, there's like a different level of awareness of that stuff, you know? Because mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah. you have little kids and, yeah, and for sure. you know, like as I'm like, because we one of the things we're training our, our daughter in is like we read the Bible every day. So even if we read mm-hmm. a different story before her nap, we always read the Bible, too. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that's just like a part of of her life right now. Yeah. And uh, anyways, but some of the stories, like even the kids Bible, you know, it's like, uh, you know, like today we read uh, um in Egypt where the, with the plagues and God's like, yeah, slaughter a lamb, rub its blood over the doorpost. and I won't kill your kids. Like, you know, I'm like teaching this to my daughter the other day. It was, uh, Abraham and Isaac and him, him tying Isaac and going to kill Isaac, raising the knife to kill his son. And like having to explain that to an almost three-year-old. Um, and I'm like, man, these are heavy things. Um, Mm -hmm. but like, I mean, uh, up until our culture now, I think that was much more like you go back to medieval times or something, something like that. Like teaching those things would be much more. It's like, oh, we kill animals. Like we we experience this even as kids. Like you see this mm-hmm. as part of life. Now we're so separated from that type of life that's like kind of hard to have those conversations sometimes. Right. Um, or or feel like am I? It's okay that I'm parenting like this and like. Yeah, well, we just stories. don't have a. We don't even have a grid for like a ritualistic. You know what I mean? Like sacrifice culture that even though the majority of the world lived that way until very recently, we just don't, we're just removed from it. You know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't, that's not the only difficulty, but that's a huge part of the difficulty, you know? Yeah. That makes sense. But so what what does it look like to, um, to do some blatant, blatantly Christian stories or biblical stories and do that well? Yeah. I mean, I love the chosen, like, you know, I'm a big, you actually were the one telling me to watch it. And I didn't watch it until just like two months ago. Uh, and then I watched the whole thing and I was like, I'm a Christian. Like I actually got saved <laughs> watching this show. Thank you. The free person who, you know, paid from forwarded it for me on the app or whatever. Like, thank you. Uh, <laughs> but they actually do a really good job. I think, um, obviously it's not a perfect thing and there's maybe areas where things can go deeper. I think, what does it look like? I, I mean, there's hints of it in like the the Noah movie, the Darren Aronofsky Noah movie of just like portraying people as real characters, um, as like portraying the biblical characters as real people with real emotions. Like one of the things, if you're a mature Christian that you will realize right away, hopefully your pastor has told you this or you realize over time is that like there's very few heroes in the Bible, like in the Old and New Testament, very few heroes. Like there's people who are very deeply flawed tragically flawed even like in a literary sense who god uses and loves because god is good and he made a covenant with that person or that person's ancestor and god has a plan to redeem their family and to change the world through them and you know um people are broken and so writing stories that exhibit that brokenness i think is really good uh will help that project out a lot i think we need to read the bible with artistic and literary lenses and what i mean by that is like i don't mean anything you know weird by that but just like understanding that these are like these what they are in large part no matter what just formally they're stories that they tell a story like a story of king david and bathsheba like that's a story that was 
even though it's a true story, it was written in accordance with like the literary, you know, tradition of that time. And it has like a plot and a narrative and things and there's character arcs and all this stuff. And so we can recognize that in the characters in these stories, like recognize, like I took this whole class, one of my favorite classes I ever took, I just finished on first and second Samuel. And uh, so you just read first and second Samuel basically and like these commentaries and do all these studies. And what the professor had us do was uh, character studies on different individuals. We had to do like one on Michael, like, you know, David's wife, one on David and Saul, one on Jonathan, and just like read about their, like try to figure out their motivations based on the text, on what is said and what is absent. Mm -hmm. Like, so for example, you know, it's a bunch of people love David. Jonathan loves David, Macau. It doesn't say that David loves anybody in the whole two book, except for the Lord. And that, I mean, that's an interesting thing, right? And so you're mm -hmm. like, okay, that's not an oversight. That is intentional. It's supposed to tell me something about this character. Now, if I'm a writer imagining that for a story, I can say, wow, maybe David wasn't love. Now, this is not me putting it into the Bible, right? This is just me writing a story to, about a movie about King David. It's like, maybe David had trust issues because his dad had him in the field when he was like 10, 14 years old and everybody else. And so he didn't understand love fully. And so even though these mm. people loved him, he didn't know how to, you know what I mean? Like you just begin to, the character becomes fuller when you're, when you in richer, when you begin to do things like that and think about the character arc and what is the author trying to tell me, not just God, the author, but the person who wrote this, you know, uh, as well. And so, um, I think for me, that's just like helpful. Like one of my great ambitions would be to write like a, basically like a fantasy novel, like length work, but just like of King David, like of uh, Samuel, Saul and David, you know, and just like write the stories out in like a way that is just like super and compelling and engaging. Um, and so, I mean, I've read books like there's a, I've read books like that do it. I'm trying to. Idols of the King. Idols of the King is like one of my favorite of all time. Right. Like. Uh, no, well, that's, yeah, that's the King Arthur story. Uh, Tale of Three Kings. Tale of Three Kings, yeah. That's a really good one for like a character study on David and Saul. Um, but there's this book, Geraldine Brooks. It's more like she's a, she's a Jewish perspective. She uh, actually converted to Judaism from Christianity. And I think she's probably a little bit liberal, but like, so there's some stuff in there that's not, you know, I wouldn't say this, this isn't how it happened, but she has this book about, it's like Samuel or not Samuel, the prophet Nathan writing the story of King David, like, and it's the book of Samuel, because in one of the uh, testaments, it says in the other writings of Samuel or something, there's some like offhanded verse. And so she like plays that up. And he's like writing this down, like the account of King David from the perspective of uh, his wife, his brother, and like a couple other different characters, like what they remember about him. And it's just fascinating. It's so good, because even there's stuff like, you know, she makes like David and Jonathan, like basically like gay in the book. And I'm like, that's even liberal scholars disagree with that. Like that, that would, it just would be unheard of in that time. And I don't mean that in a negative, like I'm not trying to disrespect anybody, but that's just not a fact um, yet. So there's stuff that I wouldn't agree with, but uh, like when she talks about David dancing before the Lord and like that whole scene. And then when Macau comes out and like, and they have their fight, like, it was so powerful because I've never, it added a layer of like, David just felt so caught off guard. Like he was just rejoicing that the Lord was with them. You know what I mean? And like, he was really like, she creates this like super passionate person. And then like this, to see their conflict just made it, I don't know, just so real. Like I was in their marriage mm -hmm. or something, you know what I mean? And like watching this 
their character like flaws like how when you fight with your wife in a bad day or how if i fight my wife and our are both of our negative things hit each other you know what i mean just right and then it's like a terrible fight i was like that's what just happened here and like she paints that in a way that is only possible through fiction you know what i mean so like through taking it away from its biblical pulpit truth and trying to touch the human condition underneath it in a little way now you're not gonna that doesn't replace the scripture and it never can never will never should but from an artistic level, man, it just gives me another lens through which to, it just makes the whole world of the Bible richer for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's something I'm really interested in is just trying to figure some of that stuff out. And what, what do you think, uh, what is the boundary there? Like, how do you, how, how do you keep from, uh, distorting scripture or, um, how can you safely add in your perspective to that mm -hmm. or how you read the story mm -hmm. without, you know, potentially adding to scripture or something like that? I know that's a concern yeah, people have. For sure. I mean, I would just say like, find the silence, right? So find the areas where the text is silent and because that's not, that's an invitation to imagine or not just imagine, but like, interpret you know what i mean and so that's the thing like then we're trying to figure out what did god mean by x and so just explore that do your research do your homework be responsible but find the silence and then also like everybody wants to write a story about king david since we're just on this thread right but what does it look like to write a story about like your from the perspective of uriah right or just like uriah's brother you know and so then you get you get a, a more you get to see that person through somebody else's, this biblical figure through somebody else's eyes. And now you're just creating a, a completely new character. So you're not changing the things that happen in scripture, but you're still creating somebody's life who lived in that world. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and so you can explore some of these themes. Like one of the ideas I have is for a, uh, for this girl, because a lot of the Psalms, we don't know who wrote the Psalms. Some of them are David, some of them are Asaph. Some of them are people writing like in honor of David or whatever. And then some just say the psalmist. And so it's like, what if one of this, I had this idea of like this girl and, you know, David had, had these court, like just this, these singers and these musicians just in his courts all the time that were just beautifully singing and writing songs to the Lord. And so it was like, I wanted to write a story from the perspective of like this girl psalmist, you know, who's just like in David's courts. Mm -hmm. And like maybe dated Absalom or something, you know what I mean? I don't know, but like just this figure who has this whole other vantage point on the narrative, you know, and like uh, gets to experience and just get to experience the world through their that lens. And that, to me, that's fun and exciting, you know. Mm. Um, I think a general rule of thumb is like just have good counsel and just like like as far as music, I remember having songs that I. It was a story song and it was about a guy and a girl meeting in a club and he was like all zannied out and she was like all broken. And so the song was really intense. And I talked to Brad when me and Alex were doing our like our album and he was like, I don't know about that one. And we talked about it and I was like, I see where he's coming from. I think X, but because I honor him and his position in my life as a guardrail, I just kept that song off the album. You know what I mean? Like I like I, I just submitted myself to authority. And so like the rules of being a good Christian still apply. You know what I mean? Like artists are those who do live on the boundaries in, in some senses. They push culture forward. They tell us about ourselves. They 
expose our secrets and really make us reflect. But if you're a Christian artist, you're still bound to be like, you know, a good follower of Jesus who's living a holistic life. So that that then changes how you do this part. It influences and informs how you do this part, you know? Yeah, it's really yeah. good. Um, have you seen, uh, have, have you watched for The Chosen? Did you watch the the messengers or the the shepherd the two christmas ones that were released i saw the one with like where mary gets the story of mary so i don't know if i don't know if there's two different ones but uh where mary magdalene gets like the birth story yeah okay so that's the messengers yeah and then they re- they released the pilot that the church the chosen was birthed out of it's the one he oh, made for okay. his church and it's actually like it's what you're talking about it's the it runs parallel to that, but it's the story of the birth of Jesus from the perspective of the shepherds mm. and, and like specifically one shepherd. Mm. And so then there's like references to that shepherd in the messengers. Yeah, that's and cool. like, it's like even so like, uh, you know, when, when they see far off the angelic encounter happening from mm-hmm. the manger, like you, you also can watch the shepherd and see that encounter. Um, and stuff and there's just a lot of things but it's really cool and i've been really impressed like as i've dug into theology um over the last like year and a half like just really i felt like that was something god said to do and there's just so much in the bible that i think i think we miss and it's like it almost writes itself oh for sure (laughs) like if you can pull out the interconnected narratives and the, the the symbolic things like the shepherd one is is an interesting one, and they actually didn't do this in the episode. They came close. I thought they were going to do it, and they didn't do it. But like uh, a shepherd, um, uh, one of the things that they would do is to protect when they had a spotless lamb that was good for sacrifice. They would put it in one of the the um, the rock feeding troughs mm. to like keep it there so it doesn't you know gets cut or anything, so they could protect it. So when the shepherd would have approached the, the manger and seen Jesus in a feeding trough, that would have connected in his mind as like, a, wow. that's what we do to a, a lamb. And right. like, there's that's, stuff like that. That's, that's awesome. yeah. There, there's so many things like that in the Bible. Oh, and yeah. I, I posted recently on Facebook, just a few of the, the ways that God redeems stories. I don't know if you saw that. Um, I haven't been on. Yeah. So like I was talking through the different ways that God redeems our stories and like yeah. just th- that piece. And th- this is something the chosen does really well where it will like jump between different things and it will show mm-hmm. some of this stuff, but like, like God redeeming mankind as the second Adam. So the first Adam mm-hmm. messed up. So he came as the second Adam, but even women, like women, like one of the verses that's always been used, used against them is how the woman was the reason that Adam ended up right. eating of the fruit. She was the first to be deceived but then God redeemed even womankind by the fact that the first one to receive the good news happened mm-hmm. in a garden once again, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. she's the one who saw the resurrected Jesus. She mm-hmm. got to be the one to go and announce it to man right. and, and bring, instead of bringing a deception, bring a truth. Right. And, and like, it's just crazy. And then, you know, Peter is another great example. Peter denies Jesus three times next to a fire. So then Jesus next to a fire has him say, I love you three yeah. times and right. overrides his previous story. But the one that like has hit me the most is um, the story of the woman at the well. And like, yeah. I've always heard this taught 
like Jesus got a word of knowledge about her sin and how she's basically this slut that's like been with all these men. Mm. And that's not the story. What Jesus is acknowledging, like, so, so she goes, you know, Jesus says to her, you know, fetch me some water. And she immediately puts up this wall. Like this is like a racial cultural divide. And she puts up this like smoke screen of that's the issue. Yeah. And he, he like cuts through it so quickly and and he because he sees like that's not the issue that's not actually what the wall is you have up against me mm. and uh and so really the truth is and when he says like he's like go get your husband she's like i don't have a husband he's like yeah that's right you've had five husbands and the one you're with mm. now is not your husband what he's saying he isn't pointing out her sin he's pointing out her rejection because a woman couldn't give a certificate of divorce so mm. she's actually been rejected five times. She's mm. been abandoned by men five times. And the one she's with doesn't love her enough to marry her. Mm. And so he's he's saying to her, I, I see how much you've been rejected. And, and you actually have an opportunity right now to have a man accept you and love mm. you. Mm. And that's what makes her break. And she's like, I perceive you're a prophet, you know, mm. um, but that perspective is so different. It's always right. like, it's always been taught to me in a way of it being like sin. But the truth is she couldn't have filed for divorce anyways. And it was about, he was seeing her rejection and, and pulling out like, Hey, you think this is about a cultural divide? It's not about that. I see how much you've been rejected mm. and, and like, and that connected with her. And then she became one of the first apostles in, yeah. in church history, which is crazy. Yeah, she goes and just changes all. Dude, I mean, but that's so beautiful. And like, that is, A, what I mean about learning the literary techniques, right? Like the three times, the three times, the fire, like like setting, like the writer, like Luke, I think it's like Luke, uh, he uses the this very rare word for garden like twice to like really point to the fact that it's in a garden. You know what I mean? Like that Jesus does mm-hmm. this and it's a, it's a call back you know what I mean? To the garden of Eden and all these things. Like, so that is just like, helps us a lot. And then B, that's one of the reasons why I love, like, I'm not one of these, you know, knowledge, knowledge can puff up. And so like, I'm not, you have to have a seminary kind of thing, but like the things that I've been learning from just learning how to read a commentary, like just a basic skill set that a lot of people never taught me, or I didn't even know was like a thing that people, I was like, or how to do a little bit of research into the biblical world of that day, like with the rock trough. Like, there's your sermon right there. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's the whole, like, that's the, and then if you believe it, and if it's because it becomes a revelation of God's goodness, it's a yeah. fact that becomes a revelation of his goodness. Oh, God is overseeing my rejection. He's actually the bridegroom. So these things all actually integrate and work together, these different parts of the body. Um, and so, yeah, man, that's just been like a huge blessing for me about preaching, like learning some of this theology stuff. But it's been a huge personal revelation for me because I just learned things about God that just make me love him so much more. You know what I mean? And like, and like humble me so much more and make the story so much better than I even knew that it was. And I, it really excites me. And like, I just want to learn. I'm just, yeah, like that's just kind of what I'm about. So even like when it comes to fiction and stuff, it's like, I know for a fact, God's called me to tell his story to the world and tell my story. Like, that's like a word that I heard from the Lord, you know? And so I'm always going to be doing it, whether I'm a pastor or not. Like, I'm going to be telling people about Jesus one way or the other. It's like not a, it's a non, it's not optional. And so um, to think about doing that as a pastor or as a leader of a church and like having these other ambitions, you're like, okay, God, I just need to trust that as I tell people about your story, 
it's even going to make me a better writer. You know what I mean? Because like I'm mm -hmm. learning about narrative from the master like narrator. And so, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And I, I think, I think the difference is you can study to be able to debate or preach sure. or something like that, or you could study to fall in love. And I, yeah. I think that that to me is what, the the more I find that, the more I fall in love with Jesus and it just like, it builds my faith because I yeah. see how even, even my faith in scripture itself and like the legitimacy mm -hmm. of scripture is because it's like, this is beyond what anybody, the way that all these authors are interconnected and everything oh, is sure. just amazing. Um, but the, I just, I wish there were some better, um, you really have to dig to find a lot of contextual stuff. Like another one is the, uh, the the wedding at Cana, like yeah. I I never understood like fully what all all the details of that and like Mary like really cares you know about the wine for some reason for these other people's wedding mm. and um one of the things that I was I was uh, learning about was like the I forget which side of of the the marriage it's on but the groom or the bride one of the two sides they basically are legally op. Uh, obligated to provide the wine for the wedding and if it runs wow. out they legally can be thrown in prison and like they're they're <laughs> held they're they're held legally because it's a it's like a it's almost like a contractual thing like that covenant being formed wow and so the fact that mary cares so much says that she's most likely family so jesus is most likely mm. connected cousin something with this family and she's coming to him saying basically like hey you need to do this because they're they're gonna get thrown in prison mm. and so his his entrance into or announcement of his ministry is bringing a new wine to 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 break off a legal obligation mm. which is the gospel like mm -hmm. it's literally the, the gospel playing out in a wedding form yeah. and him bringing this new covenant this new wine you know yeah. and it's just like that stuff like that makes you fall in love like For that sure. there's there's so many there's so much depth to that that I, no no human being e even if it was one author I, they couldn't have drawn out everything they did but then to have the yeah. number of authors over the period of time and all that's just yeah. really amazing it's beautiful man i mean like the bible project is like huge like for just like the average person for me you know what i mean like of just drawing because what they do that's so powerful is that they just trace one theme through the whole scripture. So garden or marriage or wine or whatever. And then you get to see how God like uses that theme, how different biblical authors interact with it and how Jesus ultimately just fulfills it or upends it or whatever. And like it all, and I'm just like every single thing, this guy, you know what I mean? Mm. Like he just like <laughs> every single thing, he either breaks it or holds it together or transforms it you know what i mean like he just he does it all and like that just makes my writer side just like geek out you know like that god like i don't know he just planned all of reality around like jesus christ and like, <laughs> also i feel like when i say jesus christ i sound like that dude who's like jesus christ you know but like uh <laughs> but uh i but feel that, like that guy <laughs> That's like your spirit animal. Like when you get when that's you get kind uncle. of crazy or goofy, you are that guy. Uh, that's my uncle, man. That's my uncle, man. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> you don't know how many people sent me that guy. Like whenever he first came out, I'm like this will be you, David. <laughs> All right, cool, man. 
<laughs> I guess I need to calm down a little bit. But uh, yeah, man. What I was gonna say was like that all of the the picture in Revelation, and when we see the throne room, like the of the Father and the Son, like the Lamb and the, the seven spirits and all this, and the the uh, the one seated upon a throne is handing the scroll to the Lamb. Like the whole concept of the throne room artistically, one of the main theological points that's being made there is that this is the center of reality and everything else orbits around this throne room. You know what I mean? Like this mm. is the this is the center of reality, is this triune relationship. Um the the center of reality is God seated upon the throne, like Jesus saving us, the spirit going forth all being worshiped by like billions of angels <laughs> like in like, all of creation actually. Um, and I just think like the more that I grow and learn, like that's true. Like that's just what reality is. That's the core of reality is God's goodness, God's worthiness. And I believe that everything, if you dig deep enough, will point to it. You know what I mean? Like every, I don't think we have to be scared of science. We don't have to be scared of whatever, you know, whatever technology, I think at the end of every tunnel, there's going to be this light if you dig deep enough and then you'll be confronted with like a choice. You know what I mean? Like, are you going to follow these? But yeah. So all that to say, the, 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 what we were just talking about with the scripture just like is one of the main ways I see that manifest and encourages me, you know, like even how stories are structured. I'm like, this all comes from you, doesn't it? So, yeah. Mm. That's really good. Yeah. Well, um, do you have anything else on your your heart to share or talk about before I kind of take a different direction? Uh, not concerning this necessarily, but uh, I will say I thought of another movie, Minari. I'm pretty sure if you haven't seen Minari, like the that's a Christian author, a uh, Christian writer who and director who made that movie, and it was pretty powerful as well. Uh, won a lot of awards recently, but yeah, I would highly recommend it. For sure. Yeah, I was trying to think of what do you do you think it's the fact that um, this just made me think of that, uh, think of back to that conversation. But do you think it's the fact that uh, we do have a Christian culture and that that piece that you you shared, which is true, I believe that or uh, that God is giving stories to people uh, to speak to who he is, that is the reason that a lot of movies end up having these like powerful messages. Does that question make sense? Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily one or the other. I think it can be like a both and. I think like for example, like Harry Potter. Like I'm rewatching all the Harry Potter movies. We like to do that around Christmas, and then they have this like 20th special. But we just lost some viewers. They're like Harry Potter. Ah, but like no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But. uh <laughs> the first Harry Potter movie, it just hit so different because what is the story? An outcast, rejected, abused, neglected, thinks he's alone, finds that there's this whole other realm in which he is loved and celebrated, finds family and friendship and relationship. You know what I mean? Like, like these are, these are, this is just the gospel, you know? And like, he's, I don't know. And like, even that whole story arc, the last enemy to be defeated is death and like overcoming, you know, evil with love. So all this stuff to say that like, 
uh, not J.R. Tolkien, what's her face? J J.K. Rowling, whether or not she's a Christian or whether or not she had specific Christian aims to do this, the reason it sold so well is not just because of the magic and not just because of whatever, it's because the story is the story that we all long for, right? Mm-hmm. This, every it's one of us- written on our hearts. Yeah, yeah, it's the story that's written on our hearts. And so, um, and you can say, did somebody tap into that because it's commercial and it sells? I don't, I mean, maybe, I think sometimes that might happen or whatever, it's just like a plot technique that a big studio could use. But I don't think those are the best stories anyways. Like I think like Spider-Man uh, Into the Spider-Verse, like that scene where his dad and he's like, dad is watching him fight Kingpin at the end. Like there's just moments that make you cry, you know? There's just mm-hmm. things that do something to you that I think it's, it's hard to explain. I think our culture, so, so A, I just, I think it's both and, just to answer your question simply. Um, but then I think that, there's people in our culture who try to resist and break out of that mold. Like we for sure have postmodern stories and atheistic stories and things like that, but they just, they just hit different than the story that's happened to that thing that's written on our hearts, you know? Hmm. Um, and I think that everybody Christian or not believer or not can tell the difference um, in some pretty, pretty practical and tangible ways. Yeah. I had I had somebody ask me recently about uh, about music and mm. you know whether it's okay to listen to non Christian music you know a typical conversation and um, I just I I you know shared the tip you know my my go to response which is like what's Holy Spirit telling you because I think it's mm. such an individual and I I just explained like there's been times that I've wanted to listen to worship and God said put on put on the radio mm-hmm. and. And there's other times I've wanted to listen to other stuff. And he's like, not right now. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think it really is about just listening like that. But one of the things I share with him too, is I, I think that uh, one of the ways we have to view art is it is the heart of, of humanity being exposed. Mm-hmm. And there's something so beautiful that like, I remember watching um, the, uh, the movie Joker and mm-hmm. I think that movie is beautiful and horrific at the same time. I think it shows humanity and shows desperation. Have you seen that, right? I actually haven't watched it yet. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, first from a cinematic perspective, it's good. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. it's just incredible the way that they frame shots and just the color and uh, just everything. It's, it, it's the movie's perfection from a mm-hmm. cinematic perspective and the acting and all of that. But like, man, it just shows you, it, it draws you in and it, it gives you the experience of, of being psychotic. Yeah. Um, in a way that only art can, like you For can't. Sure. And, and I think that's the reason I think that matters and not that everyone needs to go watch that movie because some people yeah. will mess them up or they're not in a good place to watch something like that. But there are times to engage with culture, to understand the heart or mm-hmm. to be able to relate with people recognize what's going on there i mean there's been so many times that uh god has told me to listen to the radio and it's i start to hear the cry Mm -hmm. of of culture and so i think the reason i'm sharing this is because i think there's artists who are listening that what you're saying is super helpful but for everyone else who's not writing something or something like that i think it's really important to understand like you can you can view art that way and engage engage with it in a way that pulls out uh, what is the cry of, of, of culture? What mm-hmm. is, 
and and that that cry can i mean ultimately it's a you know it comes down to they need jesus but like you be you can begin to you can understand gen z if you just pay mm-hmm. attention to their their music to their mm-hmm. art to their tiktoks like 100 some of that yeah and it's so like it's so it just vibrates through it right like it's just it's it's always going to be like that i think it always has been where the cry of the generation has been present in the culture that they produce right like the 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 music the films the art whatever um and to your point about gen z like we talk about isolation or confusion or like numbness or depression like there's so many songs even like rap songs that are about this stuff that you would have never heard a rapper talking about you know what i mean it'd have been very few rappers talking about that kind of stuff whenever i was 16 and so yeah man but like it's just like here's where they are and it can be dark for kids to listen to and so you have to navigate that like i i'm a firm believer in like everything isn't for everybody you know what i mean and so um and I've even had times where I didn't make music or I didn't, I, there's been times where I took a year from listening to rap music. There's times where I realized how desensitized I was to violence because I grew up watching all the Kill Bill films and I just took like many months and wouldn't watch any violent movies or TV shows. You know what I mean? So like, and, and that I needed a reset and there's times where I do reset still in different areas of my life. Um, and then you might decide to lay something down forever. It's just not for you. That said, uh, hearing the heart of the people gives you an opportunity or an avenue to like speak with them in a language they understand, you know what I mean? And just like Mm -hmm. recognize what they're like, just say, I see you, you know? And I don't even think you need prophetic eyes to do that. No prophetic eyes help what to do once you see them, you know what I mean? Uh, Mm -hmm. Like actually how to, where do you move from there? What's the answer that they need? How do you communicate that need for Jesus? Uh, instead of saying Jesus is king to the kid who's super depressed and lonely, you might say, man, like all of creation is about returning to the perfect relationship with intimacy. You know what I mean? Like you might frame it that way for somebody who's struggling with whatever. So um, like you're never alone, you know, like that's what you would say to that person, et cetera. And so, yeah, man, I just, all that to say, I think you're right. And uh, that's one thing that I wish more Christians would I think more people of our generation are probably there, but I don't think it was always like that. I think there was an older generation or people were in more stricter churches, you know, that like, I mean, I had a guy one time, I was talking to a girl who was a, like, basically like person that we were trying to disciple off the streets in New York. And we were talking about Harry Potter and we were geeking out about it. And this kid was like, but does that pass the Philippians 4-8 test? And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what is happening right now? You know what I mean? First of all, I've been a Christian for like six months. I didn't know what the Philippians 4-8 test was. Second of all, <laughs> she doesn't care, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not like what, this isn't the, this isn't the way forward in this moment, you know? And so, yeah. but there's people who like only have that mindset. So, yeah. yeah. And and another, another layer of it is just like even being able to pray for the people because they're exposing where they're right. at. I, I like... Kanye is one of the best examples of that. I think, um, you know, his, I remember his, uh, 808s and heartbreak album and just feeling, yeah. I could feel there's so, there's such tangible pain and right. it was so clear how lost he is. And I remember listening to that album thinking if somebody doesn't reach him, he's, he's going to think he's God. 
I like I I specifically had that thought, and it mm. it was the next album or the album after that. He has this line that he's like, basically, I got to the top and realized I was it, and that I'm mm. God. Like he like blatantly says it, and then he had that whole season where he just like thought he was God, mm-hmm. and um, and then you know obviously everything that's going on now and all that, but um. I just like that kind of stuff can lead us into intercession. I think that's one thing that Jasmine and her community does really well is just mm-hmm. like pays attention, pays attention to artists, not as fans, but as, as people who love them and yeah. actually care about them. And I, I think that's the other piece is like actually seeing them as human, not just being fans, but like, yeah, these are people with real emotions, real pain. 100%. I, I mean, shout out to Jasmine. Like she's so gifted and amazing at leading people into intercessing for just like, celebrities or whatever because like i will have like a connection with a person like a j cole or and i'll pray for that person you know what i mean but like to get a group of people on board to like do this consistently not just for that person but for this group of people like and convince them that it's important that we should do that like that is a beautiful thing that like a lot of churches just don't even consider you know what i mean like the brokenness like i might hear a song and be like oh i need to pray for that person but what does it look like for the church, just for Christians who aren't interested in the arts at all, to be able to sense that and just pray for that and have those interactions? Like our friend that we were just talking about, who is not a musician or a rapper that I know of, and now has these relationships with these rappers who, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't necessarily have a business having a relationship with them, but God is using him through because of his faithfulness and because he's, you know, able to, to minister to them. And so, yeah, man, I think that's dope. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, how can people, if people want to keep up with you, what's the best way to connect with you, with your work? Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you want to see my writing, just go to kdavidwade.com. And then I'm on social media at kdavidwade. Um, kind of on a social media hiatus, but I'll pop back on there to share this podcast, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, awesome. that's, the, that's the easiest way. Cool. And then um, the there's a final question I ask all my guests. Um, and so I just want you to speak. You're going to speak great to the people. But if all of humanity was listening in right now, they all tuned into my podcast because mm. it got that popular. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if all of humanity was listening right now, believers, unbelievers, all of it, mm. um, just speak great to them right from your heart. What's the message you have for them? Yeah. I hadn't thought about this and. I would just say that Jesus rose from the grave, like everything else, just all of reality for the Christian and really all of reality for everybody depends on whether that's true or not. Uh, Did Jesus get up out of that grave? Like whatever questions you have, whether you're in deconstruction, whether you're the most spirit filled, charismatic person and you've seen all this stuff or whether like you're, you have questions about the Bible and you've been hurt by the church and all that. Only thing that matters is that Jesus get up out of the grave. That's the first and foremost thing. And if you did get up out of the grave, you need to build your life around that fact and let nothing stop you from building your life around that fact. And if you believe that, if you believe that Jesus uh, rose up out of the grave, that's all you need because he said that he would be with you, be in your hearts. He would send his Holy Spirit to come upon you, be with you forever. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And if you're having trouble believing that, if you're saying, hey, I I hear what he's saying, I want to believe it, but I don't know if it's true or not. 
I would just encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit right now to make it real, to speak to you in a language you understand, whether that's art like we've been talking about or business or through motherhood or through whatever it is that you're passionate about. I would challenge you to speak to the creator of the universe and just say, hey, like, did Jesus get up out of the grave? And if that's so, can you show it? Prove it to me. Like, show me in my own life. Show me in a way that I understand and watch what God does. Like, just wait and watch. Um, And then when he does, give him everything he asks you for. That's the only thing there is to do. Uh, And that's the only thing I think I can say. Man, so good. I love that. (laughs) And when he does, give him everything he asks. I think that's the hardest piece of all of it. Mm -hmm. Like getting a revelation of him is easy because he loves Mm -hmm. to to show who he is. Mm -hmm. But it's the giving him all, but it's worth it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. This was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, man, this is good. Yeah, actually, can you? Would you be up for just praying? Um, I mean, a, a common thread through a lot of this was just like um, had to do with creativity and just seeing seeing the world, seeing God, seeing you know art, seeing scripture in in a different way. And I think that mm. there's a um, like we talked about graces, like there's a grace. I, I gave you a word a while ago about being an apostle to the arts. I think I think mm. you have a, a faith for for art, for creativity, and a way of viewing the world that is different than most people. Mm. Um, and I, I do think it's a grace. I think it's a God-given grace. And I think when people get around you and have conversations and stuff, it, it begins to unlock. And probably even just people listening to this podcast start to think differently and, and mm. um, view things differently. But... Can you just pray, pray for the the people listening, however you feel led, but especially just for that, that, um, the, the creative eye, the, the way of Mm -hmm. seeing the world that's just a little bit different, seeing the beauty in it, seeing the beauty in scripture and even in pain Mm -hmm. and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. God, thank you so much for every person listening to this right now, for Ryan and for the work that you're doing through him and just, the his space to hold conversations and for the way it's impacting people and um, and just for the opportunity to participate in this, God. I, I pray right now for everybody listening that you would enlarge our imaginations, that you would help them know that you created their imagination, that you created them to imagine and to wonder and to experience awe and to see beauty and to like seek they were that we were designed for beauty because you were the most beautiful one that we were designed for wonder because like all of creation just like looks at you and is in awe because of the glory and the goodness and the beauty that they see god and that it's possible for us to find traces of that goodness and traces of that beauty in every single facet of creation whether it's the natural mountains and a sunset and the sky, or whether it's a book, a novel, a short story, a poem, or a favorite film or song, and everything in between, there's traces that you left there for us to find. There's there's threads that we can pull and tug on that will get us back to you, that will draw us closer to you, God. And I pray that you would open our eyes for those threads, that you would open the eyes of everybody listening to see those threads in their daily lives, whether that's the book they're reading, the movies they're watching, the work that they're doing. It doesn't just have to be art, but that that the threads of your beauty and your goodness, that there just be like every moment 
holy, like that uh, liturgy, that it just be like every moment a revelation, <laughs> like every little moment a revelation of who you are and how good and how big you are, that you're, you're more beautiful than we could imagine, that uh, your word says that you, the, the things that you have planned for those that you love and for those who love you uh, is bigger than we can ask, think, dream, or imagine. It's it, Our capacities are limited and not strong enough and big enough to imagine how good and beautiful you actually are. And yet, like, you revealed it all to us in your word, in Holy Scripture, like in the person and presence of Jesus. It's, we don't have to fear that our imagination is going to take us to some place that's going to get us all messed up. Like we can even find the traces of your beauty in your word and then let that be a light to our path and everything else around us. God, I pray that we would have eyes to see that all things come back to you, that all things are full in you, that all things are fulfilled in you, God. And so I just pray for also for anybody who... Um, heard this and felt their heart burned or come alive, uh, that you would guide them, Holy Spirit, into how they can pursue their passion, their joy, their dream, their art, not just for you, but with you. That even as they create, that they would, even the act of creating would be an encounter with the living God. And what draws them back to it is not just the ability to make something dope or amazing or beautiful or self-fulfilling, but an encounter with the presence that they meet there. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So good. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thanks for being on. Yeah, man. I love you, well, bro. If, I love you, man. This is good. Um, yeah, so if you if you uh, listened to this and this really touched you, I just ask you, please share this. Share this with your friends. Share this with whoever you know that needs to hear this. If you know an artist in your life, um, or somebody like that, that, that needs encouraged, um, this would be a great podcast, uh, to pass their way. And, uh, also please, uh, if you are listening to this podcast on any of the platforms that have a, um, a review system, especially Apple podcast, go ahead and give us a review that'll help us show up higher in the search, uh, in the search, uh, search bar. And then uh, if, if this podcast has impacted you or this ministry has impacted you in any way um, and you'd like to sow into what we're doing, you can do so by going to firemovement.com slash support. Uh, once again, that's firemovement.com slash support. And there you can do a one-time or monthly gift. Uh, and we appreciate all that. So thank you so much for, uh, for those of you who are supporting this podcast and um, you guys have been amazing and have really encouraged me in this. So thank you so much. Until next time, this has been the Fire Podcast.